the Disenfranchised Podcast is now in session. The Honorable Stephen Foxworthy presiding. Hey, that's right. It's the Disenfranchised Podcast. We're that podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. I am the right Honorable Stephen Foxworthy. And joining me, as always, the man who has spent far more time than he probably needed to to get his hair in the most out of this world configuration possible it's my co-host brett wright hey brett objection steven on what ground sir uh i don't know let me consult (laughs) um we are brett uh i don't know if uh if you remember or not we are right smack dab at the beginning or toward the beginning of our big in japan theme month we are so it's july it's summer vacation we're going to the land of the rising sun. We're hitting Japan. Even though they don't want us right now, they've closed their borders due to COVID. And who's to say anyone can blame them? I certainly don't. It's a smart move, quite frankly. And um, they're right, and they're right to say it. So I agree. There it is. Um, but Brett, what uh, what film, uh, since we cannot go uh, physically to to Japan, we'll, we'll go there cinematically. Uh, what what film are we talking about today? We are talking about the uh, video game adaptation of Ace Attorney. Yes, that's right. It is Ace Attorney from 2012, uh, directed by the great Takashi Miike and starring uh, Hiroki Narimaya, uh, Mirei uh, Kiritani, uh Takumi Saito, Ray Don, uh, Minabi, Minami, excuse me, Harabe, or Hamabe, sorry, uh, Shunsuke Daito, and several others whose names I will desperately try not to uh, butcher any further, quite frankly. I mean, like, we gave him a, a disclaimer up front at the beginning of the Uzumaki episode, you're going to butcher all these names, and it's fine. Yeah, I don't know if it's fine, but it's going to happen. And my apologies, just blanket apologies across the month because it's it's going to get rough. I'm pretty sure. Um, but what a cast, Brett. What a picture. Is Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> hell yeah times 10. Hell yeah times 10. Brett coming out of the gate strong. Um, now, I have to ask, Brett, you are the resident video game expert on this podcast. I am famously... Uh, bad at video games because I never played them growing up. Do you, this is of course an adaptation of the Capcom video game, Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney. Do you have any familiarity with that video game series? And if so, what can you tell us about it? No, I got nothing, man. I hate the game series. It sucks. Let's move on. Okay. Fantastic. That's it. That's that context people come for. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love the Phoenix Wright series. It's fan fucking tastic. Um, it's uh, I, I've played the first two is the thing. Here's the thing. I haven't played. There's a bunch now. There's so many of these. Yeah. Um, but I've only played the first two. Well, here's the thing. Now, while I love the series and it's great, uh, it's also I'm not smart enough for these games. Um because much like in the movie, you have to find contradictions in witness testimony. You have to find evidence to contradict statements and, you, you know, the, the prosecution. And sometimes, and you only get three chances per day of trial uh, to present the right evidence. Um, and there's only three days of trial, so you only get nine chances total. Yes. Although when you when you fail a day, you... you fail and start over ah. you, um, you lose the case immediately um, so yeah if you present the wrong piece of evidence the judge is like um, are you sure <laughs> uh, and then much like in the movie Phoenix is like uh, uh, I don't know which he does a lot in this movie <laughs> he does it a lot in the game uh, you see honestly like Phoenix is not the brightest lawyer at first um that's why he needs his, his spirit guide to help him most of the time. Or, you know, other Edgeworth and the, the, penis, the peanut, peanut gallery. And uh, just he's, he, sometimes he stumbles into the right answer. 
mm-hmm. like he does in the movie. Right. Quite uh, often. Quite often. Um, but yeah, most of the time he's, he's not the best lawyer at first. Fair enough. Um, so you're kind of stumbling along with him, uh, except he gets better. I never do. So, <laughs> uh, so you know, it, it kind of takes the fun out of it when you're like, you've got the game in one hand and a walkthrough in the other. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, it's, it's not as much fun. You don't feel as smart. Because mm-hmm. let me tell you, this game will make you feel smart as hell if you figure something out without, you know, being told what it is. Sure. Um, yeah, no, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, the movie depicts it really well. Um, from, you know, cross-examining witnesses and having to find evidence and then present that evidence in court and the, the goofy characters with the goofy outfits, the, uh, the, the clear anime hairstyles that you look just completely ridiculous in live action. I'm not going to lie. Like I was, no, they do. No, you're I, not wrong. They, they, they do. Yeah. Uh, I, I was, I was quite taken aback by, by many of those hairstyles. I'm not going to lie. Well, cause here's the funny thing. Like the, the world of Phoenix, right. And the games is very bright, colorful. Um, right. Where, like, in the movie, it's like gritty. Like, there's like a dark tone over the entire film. And it's like gritty feeling. And I have a feeling that's kind of the Takashi Miike or the Takashi Miike influence. Um, like, he is a prolific filmmaker. Are you familiar at all with the work of Takashi Miike? A little, but not really a whole lot. School me. I mean, the man has made. And here's the thing. I have almost no familiarity with Takashi Miike, unfortunately. Like, I've not seen... This is the first Takashi Miike film I've seen. Uh, There are a few others that we could potentially cover on this podcast at some point. uh, One of which you have um, told me on no uncertain terms you're not excited to cover. um, Based on um, the, the manga being adapted and the fans thereof. If that... I will put it in the chat. So as not to say it live, you probably say it live. I mean, I, I don't want to rile the fans. Oh, okay, you don't want to. Got it. Okay. So I'm just going to write it down and put it in the chat, and then you can see it and go, "Yeah, I don't want to do that one." No, I mean, no, I don't. I'm not against it. I just don't know anything about it. I mean, oh, okay. Well, and I mean, there are the fans. Uh, <laughs> the fans are rabid for that, but like, I, sure, I just, I'm not familiar with it at all, and I wouldn't want to piss those fans off. Touche. That, and and that that is fair and and perhaps a a uh, a misrepresentation on my part so apologies um but yeah i mean he's he's uh he's directed a few films that we could probably cover but in total he has directed since 1991 Brett uh almost 70 feature films and more tv movies and direct to video releases um the man's career is uh, he must never stop working. I don't know how it's possible. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, the, the man is absolutely prolific, probably best known for his 1999 film uh, titled Audition. That is, that is, okay, that is the one I've seen. Okay. Uh, a movie I will probably never see. Because uh, someone told me what the twist was and I don't really have much of a desire quite frankly. No, that's fair. Uh, just, it's just kind of one of those, like this just, I, I don't want to watch anything intentionally unpleasant, or at least not to that degree. So. Totally fair. That's completely right. fair. I'm glad you were warned. <laughs> Me too, quite I frankly. Wish, I, I, I wish I had been. Uh, was it like uh, Patrick H. Willems, a, uh, a content creator we both enjoy? I shouldn't call it content because if he ever hears this episode, he's going to get really mad. But he's a, he's a YouTube creator that we both enjoy. Um, he said that he used to um, force his friends in college to watch Audition and not tell them what it was about and just watch their reactions when the, when the twist happened, uh, which just feels mean. Um, yeah. Like sadistic even. Shit, man. Right. Um, if you don't know what we're talking about, uh, we're talking about a 1999 Takashi Miike film called Audition. Um, 
the first half, Brett, I think you would say probably like just this really sweet romantic comedy. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, and then the back half, Brett, how would you describe the back half of Audition? Uh, Terrifying. Um, Disturbing. Let me me check my notes here. Nightmare Fuel? Nightmare Fuel, yeah. Correct. Yep, correct. So, yeah, it's... it's, uh, maybe the most stark example of a gear shift movie ever, uh, which is a term that director Paul Thomas Anderson uh, attributes to a movie that uh, seems to be about one thing starting off and then is about a completely different thing uh, about halfway through the movie. Like it just completely changes genres halfway through. Um, Mike's episode of the masters of horror anthology was so disturbing that uh, the network refused to air it. Um, and Mick Garris uh, said it was maybe the most disturbing movie he'd ever seen. Um, and so right. the man the man who makes those things is also the guy who directs 2012's Ace Attorney, which is like if a legal thriller was set in the MCU is about the best way I know how to describe it. Uh, and all the characters come from your favorite anime is... And is potentially the best video game movie of all time. There it is, folks. That is what we call a Brett Wright hot take right out of the gate. I don't know. Go look on the internet. A lot of people agree. I don't know if that's a hot take. I don't know if it's a hot take either. But here's the thing. like Conventional wisdom would tell you Silent Hill has, has, at least from what I've been told, is the greatest video game movie ever made. And you see Ace Attorney... And you read what other people have to say about Ace Attorney, and you're like, hmm, is this, could this be the greatest video game movie ever made? And I think we could probably make a case for it, honestly. I And honestly, and now here's a hot take for you. Well, I don't know if it's a hot take. People have actually turned around on Silent Hill a little bit in the past oh, six years. Um, okay. From what I'm given to understand in the horror community. Um, it, so... There's two things that a video game movie adaptation needs to get right to be a good video game movie. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, one or both of those things are missing. And that's why it sucks. Fair enough. And what are those two things? Uh, you need to be true, like the soul of the source material, the themes, mm-hmm. and the sticking to the source material. Um within reason i mean i'm not i'm not i'm never going to advocate for like a one-to-one adaptation of a video game into a movie that just wouldn't work most of the time right but like you have to not stray so far as to be its own thing resident evil um but you also need to not stick so closely to it that it hurts the movie itself which i can't really think of an example of that that's fair. I was I was about to ask, so thank you for clarifying. Um, yeah, I was trying to think of an example as I was saying that, but I'm like, has any video game movie ever stuck that close to the source material? I don't think it has. You could maybe argue the first Mortal Kombat movie, but not really. I don't know. Sound off in the comments. Uh, do you have yeah. any examples? Or, or hit us up on uh, on our email, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. Let us know uh, if there is a, uh, a video game adaptation that you feel adheres too closely to the source material. So you think this one has the right balance as well as capturing the themes of the thing. Let me walk it back. I was talking about Silent Hill. Um, oh, so okay. The sorry, theme, sorry. Themes, the themes of Silent Hill are perfectly there. Okay. It captures the essence and the feel of Silent Hill perfectly, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But it strays way too far from the source material. Um, Because there are certain aspects of the story that are very integral to the specific game they come from. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm sure fans out there know what I'm talking about. Pyramid Head. Um, Pyramid Head is very specific to what is going on in the story of Silent Hill 2. He should not be in any other stories because he is directly tied to the psyche of the main character in Silent Hill 2. Gotcha. But he, he, he was such a fan favorite character, we gotta put him in fucking everything. Because um, <laughs> everybody loves themselves a pyramid head and we just have to 
he's the mascot of the franchise. Sure. Um, but so it, in that aspect, it strays too far. Um, gotcha. While doing some things right and doing something. But so, so is it up there? Yes. Is it in like top five best video game adaptations? It absolutely is. It's in the conversation. Okay. Uh, but it, I would not put it that high, as high as I used to. Okay. Other than this one, what are some other video game movies that you might put above it? Um, yeah, no, I'm, this is going to give you some hot takes. Um, I can't wait. Uh, the newest Mortal Kombat movie. Uh, wow. Okay. That, might, that is pretty hot. That might anger some people. I was um, pretty cool on that movie. Uh, and I mean, look, as a movie, was it good? Not really. Uh, but <laughs> it's a damn good adaptation of the video game while not straying too far from the source material. Okay. Um, and it kept the themes. Um, what else? Uh, man, I'm having that, uh, I'm on the spot. So my mind went blank situation. Sorry. I mean, how do you, I mean, some other ones that I've heard kind of brought up in this conversation within the last couple of years. And again, your mileage may vary on some of these titles. Um, the new Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, films. Oh, right. Jesus Christ. Yes. Yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog is like maybe after this movie, number two. Okay. Um, um, Detective Pikachu. Any thoughts on that one? Oh, yeah, definitely. See, now look, see, why weren't these coming to me? But like, yes, absolutely. You got Sonic okay. the Hedgehog, Detective Pikachu, all both of them better than Silent Hill. In my okay. Opinion. So, all right. So, there, Silent Phil is at best number four until Brett can think of some other. Hey, while you're, while you're sounding off on uh, video game adaptations that uh, adhere too closely to the source material, uh, fire off some, uh, some, what, what do you think are some of the best video game movies ever made? Um, disenfranchpod at gmail.com or hit us up on social media at disenfranchpod. We'd love to hear from you. There are many. So I mean, yeah, I don't have a lot of options. It's, it's a fairly short list. I mean, here's the thing. We have got a lot of video game adaptations on our failed franchise starter list, because it is a very rare thing that if a video game gets adapted, uh, it's going to do well enough with the fans uh, for people to want more of that. I think Resident Evil is this weird outlier, which apparently it accomplished that feat by uh, kind of doing its own thing. So you didn't need the familiarity with the video games in order to enjoy those films. And if you had it, it might have actually hurt your experience overall. Yes. Which is definitely the case. Uh, that's why most Resident Evil fans will tell you the movies are terrible, mm-hmm. or at least like popcorn, turn your brain off movies, at, you know, at best. Sure. Um, and the general populace is who went to flock to those movies because they're dumb, stupid action horror movies with the, with a hot female lead. That I was going to say. Let's let's please put the respect on Mila Jovovich's name, please and thank you. Yes. Um, that's, that's, put... what's, that's what sold that movie. I mean, yeah, it, we need to put the respect on it that it deserves, and she is deserving of all the respect. Um, we stand Mila Jovovich. Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, she's wonderful. Um, but yeah, so so this, you would say this one, so to, to, get, to double back to my earlier question then, you would say that Ace Attorney does a better job than most other um, video game adaptations of capturing both the themes and the story of the actual video game itself. I would say it does a perfect job, Stephen. Okay. Um, it uh, it sticks to the themes and the adaptation uh, choices it makes are to tell a more coherent story. Um, and they found ways... So, like, the coolest thing that I think they did, which I was really confused about at first, was the giant video screens Mm -hmm. in the courtroom. Those aren't in the games. Gotcha. Um, But that's they had to find a way to visualize you taking evidence Mm -hmm. and showing it to the entire courtroom. Which, Um, honestly, is a smart way to do that, I thought. Yeah, because a lot of the game is, you know... For example, in in the, the final case with the, the pictures, mm-hmm. like you wouldn't have any other way to do that other than like zoom in on a picture the phoenix is holding or something, right? Like that, and that doesn't work. Visually, um, that's not arresting. That's not interesting. No. And uh, one thing I will say about 
Takashi Miike based on what I've read about him and based on this film. Um, he is all about some dynamic filmmaking. Yeah, which there are some interesting dynamic scenes that I wish he'd done more of. Like the the scene at the end where like he's he's like panning back and forth around Larry while he's mm. giving his testimony. Like why, I was like, why are the, why didn't you do this for every witness testimony? This is fucking cool. I would especially have loved to to see that for witness Polly, but um, yeah, yeah, which is, is in the game cross examining a parrot. I'm that's gonna, in the game uh, too. That's hilarious. Oh, it's absolutely in the game. Yeah, that's amazing. Um. Yeah, so that's that's the, I don't know, that, like, the visual style of it. And I think Takashi Mika has a really good eye. Like, one of the things that I read in the reviews of this movie uh, when I was looking over some of those was some of the critics were complaining that this film did not have enough of Mika's usual, like, dynamic, I think the word was visual hyperbole was the phrase that, that got used. Um which is kind of, so I think your complaint, like where, where was that? There was not enough of that. There was some, and it was very interesting. Like I got some Scott Pilgrim vibes uh, from this, but um, ultimately it's, it's, it's fairly straightforward for, for all the, like the kind of wacky art direction. It's, it's a fairly straightforward movie, all things considered. Yeah. I, I did want more of, you know, the more, bombastic moments that are in the game because like the game is known for like you know just the giant objection whenever you whenever there's an objection or or what one of my favorite like there was an entire <laughs> there was an entire portion of this movie that like i was just smiling like like a child <laughs> like when uh, it's in the second case when he uh, figures out, I forget what it is, is when he's solving uh, Mia's murder, she tells him that he has that piece of paper um, with the with the receipt on it. And um, when he admits it in evidence, it's on the big screen, he goes, take that, and throws it at the prosecutor. Right. That is fucking right out of the game. Is it? Okay. Yes. Like, you, you, you get the big take that. Mm -hmm. It's like objection. And then he proceeds to usually that's when like he's found something to contradict something else. Gotcha. <clears throat> Which is usually near the end of the case. Most of the time that tracks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and it's, it's playing like an orchestral version of the soundtrack in the background. Like I was, I was in fan heaven. It was so good. Whereas I had absolutely no context for any of that, I was just kind of assuming this was all out of the video game. Well, it was. You, you assumed correctly. Hey, I got it. Got it in one, baby. Um, uh, yeah, which did, so, and what I mentioned about the adaptation part of it is to make it all one coherent story, because the second case, which is called Turnabout Sisters, um, the, that is solving uh, Mia's murder, Mm. is a completely different case. Like, it doesn't have anything to do with the D6 thing. DL6 case? DL6 case, yes. Okay. Um, is the DL6 case in the game? Yes, the entire, like, last half of the game in Turnabout Goodbyes is that it's identical. Okay. Um, there's a few changes they made, um, but it's almost beat for beat identical um, from the game. So they merge those two cases in order to create a sense of cohesion from one to the other then? Yeah. In, in Turnabout Sisters in the game, um, so Red White is from the second, from that case. Mm -hmm. uh, bro, I will have to show you a picture of what Red White looks in the game. Okay. Uh, so he is like a CEO media mogul that blackmails um, like high level politicians. Okay. To sort of get, you know, the stories he wants out into the media. He controls the media, basically. Okay. Um, Just like and, Jonathan Price in um, The World Is Not Enough. No, not The World Is Not Enough. Uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, more or less. Um, and uh, he was the one that originally released the story about Misty, Misty Fay, and ended up getting her killed because of it. Mm. So Mio was constantly trying to find evidence to prove that he's blackmailing his officials and put him in jail. She finally finds evidence, hides it in the thinker statue, 
which he is then subsequently killed, killed by Red White um, with the Thinker statue. And that's and Phoenix solves the case the same way. Like he finds the hidden evidence in the Thinker statue and mm. uses that to you know, prove that Red White did it. Gotcha. But he has no connection to the case later. They added that to this to this movie. Okay, so it tells a more coherent story. Right. Like, and I got the like I like red. I mean, visually, red white. The the villains in this, the quote unquote villains in this, are some of the more visually interesting looking characters, at least to me, because uh, Red White's got this weird like emo John Lennon kind of look to him, uh, versus uh, Yanni Yogi, who's got like this, um, I don't know, just weird homeless dude kind of like it's not it's not over the top, like it's it's very grounded, but it's still very visually arresting. Like I was, I was very intrigued by by the looks of those two characters in particular. You know, it's, I, I just realized we're getting like kind of deep into the story a little bit. Should we oh. plot in sixty before we go any further? Let's plot this thing out in sixty. Let's do it. So, um, for those of you listening to this episode for the first time, uh, first of all, welcome. But second of all, every week we do uh, a little segment that we call the plot in sixty seconds. That is when. Uh, so as to avoid making the entire podcast just a recounting of the plot of the film, uh, we recap the entire plot of the film in 60 seconds or less. And to decide which of us will take on this mammoth task in this particular instance, we refer to the coin of justice, which is, thanks to our friend Tucker, an actual coin, uh, which I will flip in the air to determine which of us will uh, recount the plot of 2012's uh, Ace Attorney. Um, Brett, call it in the air. Heads. And it is heads. The streak continues, question mark? <sighs> so it would seem. I knew you were going to do this to me. Because this but, movie is maybe the most plot-dense movie we've ever covered on this podcast. But to be fair, the coin did it to you, not me. I I don't know. I think you and the coin of justice have been in cahoots. There's there's no way this streak is going to last that long. Uh, objection. No, that's not uh, how the coin of justice works. Coin of justice overruled. Okay. Um. No. no, that's not how this works. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if you would be so kind as to put 60 seconds on the clock, I will attempt. And I use the word attempt very loosely in this instance to recount the plot of 2012's Ace Attorney in 60 seconds or less. All right, your time starts right this moment. Uh, so Phoenix Wright is an attorney, um, and his uh, his friend and coworker Mia is murdered, and so he has to solve uh, her case, even though that's probably for the police to do. Her sister is uh, is uh, suspected, but he finds out it's actually Red White, uh, and then that opens up a whole can of worms with another case when his childhood friend and uh, rival prosecutor. Um, what's his name? Edgeworth. Edgeworth. Yeah, that's the one. Miles Edgeworth is accused of murdering a dude named Roger Hammond. And so he is, uh, Phoenix Wright is defending him and through, uh, uh, the, they, they follow the evidence and they, they find all sorts of things, cameras and pictures and, uh, hidden things and all sorts of stuff. And it turns out that the cases are connected. Uh, and so Phoenix in his, uh, he finds out that it was actually this dude, Yanni Yogi, who was suspected in this case that also killed, not only Roger Hammond, but also his father. Turns out, no, it wasn't him. It was actually uh, Edgeworth's mentor that did the whole thing. He's arrested. Phoenix wins the case, and uh, Edgeworth gets reinstated. And that's the day. I kind of did it. I skipped yeah. over most of this movie because most of this movie is just like finding clues and figuring shit out and arguing in open court. Welcome to the video game as well. Uh, so, <laughs> the thing, so the thing about the, you, you mentioned this thing the cops are supposed to in, in the Phoenix Wright dystopian future. Uh, there's so much crime mm. that it's kind of up to the lawyers because they have these quick bench trials that are just like Expl explain that as well because that that is worthy of an explanation. Uh, so it's basically just it's up to the lawyers to find the evidence and find the truth, as Phoenix says at the end. Not what Von Karma says about prosecuting the evil no matter what. Right. Um, it's about finding the truth. So you want to collect the evidence, present the evidence, 
to then prove that your client is either guilty or not guilty. You have three days to do it. You don't have to use all three days, but that's it. Um, you, you get arrested, you get sent to a bench trial. They have three days to prove you're guilty or not guilty, and then move on to the next one. Um, there are multiple lawyers. There are multiple courts, as shown in the beginning, which that is the first case. That's the tutorial case you do when he's defending Larry. Okay. Uh, who was accused of murder. Right down to the guy ripping off his toupee and tossing it like a frisbee. <laughs> like that, that is right out of the game. Um, like, so... So yeah, there's there's different courts, and you just I mean that's that's basically the justice system in in this in this dystopian dystopian future, and it's it's big fancy lawyers. I guess in this, well, I don't know if it's really shown in the game. Maybe later, like the lawyers are kind of celebrities. Um, you you do definitely get that in the movie. Um, I mean the when. Like after Phoenix takes the big trial or after I think after he wins the uh, the Mia's murder case, um, he's basically like everyone's like swarming him like it. it I get the impression based on this film and you can tell me if this is accurate to the games that these trials are basically like sporting events. Yeah, they feel like that because uh, Larry's got like a ticket uh, so he can sit in the peanut gallery um, like people are there basically spectating if, if your client is found not guilty, uh, there's confetti, yeah. like when your game, like when your team wins the Super Bowl or something like it's, I mean, it's, it's almost like a spectator sport, these trials. Yeah. It even, it even flashes the kanji of not guilty in the mm-hmm. Japanese version, or it just says not guilty in the American version. Um, yes. I, yeah. And there's, there's, there's confetti. There's, mm-hmm. there's people cheering. It's yep. yeah, that's all from the game. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So, but, but I mean, there, there's like a swarm of reporters down and when you finish the first case, it's, you know, Larry's like, why doesn't anyone want to talk to me? But after the second, the reporters would like know who Phoenix is. They know what he's done. Like they're, and by, by the end of the movie, when Edgeworth is getting reinstated, like the two of them are basically being swarmed by the press as they meet at the top of the stairs. So yeah. you, you do kind of get that impression. Which is almost like a UFC weigh-in. Like if they meet at the top yes. of the stairs in front of the press and shake hands. Yeah. And then of course at the in the post credit scene, or I guess the end of credit scene, they're in trial opposite one another. Yeah, which is which is what happens in the the the, act, the trial that they're doing where Edgeworth is showing off the guitar. Mm-hmm. It's from the last case of the second game. Okay. Um, as well as the singing ninja singing ninja i forget what it's called yeah i i also forgot the like jamming guitar of the singing ninja or something like that yeah it's uh the new balloon that larry has at his skull right which i mean there's references of like the steel samurai the first case that we see edgeworth doing in the movie mm-hmm. the big balloon that plays a big part later that larry has right um that that's... people mistake for like a kaiju or a lake monster yeah that's the third case in the first game okay about samurai um a... so yeah there's i mean there's characters in the background of the trials that are from later games like you could probably notice the chick with the giant bow in her hair mm-hmm. it's absolutely from a character from one of the like, okay. All, all the characters in the games are like over the top, almost Hunger Games esque in terms of design <laughs> and like over the top costumes. I mean, yeah that that absolutely tracks. Um, that's rad. Uh, that's kind of fun. Um, but yeah, um, this movie uh, I'm not gonna lie is is kind of fun, if not um, long. This movie is very long. That is. And yeah, it didn't get a five stars out of me, and that's why. Because um, we're getting to the end of the last, what I thought was the end of the last case. I mean, I knew there was more, but I'm like, it can't be that much more. Uh, and there was still an hour. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, you, you're gonna, come on. Like, you could wrap this up faster than you're doing right now. I, I, know, I, I know what's left. Why I paused it right thinking, now? I'm good, like, I'm gonna run to the bathroom real quick, and I'm like, wait, I've still got 40 minutes left you just told me who the killer was 
Like, how do I still have 40 minutes left in this movie? Like, this thing was probably at least a half an hour too long. Yeah, I would agree. Although, at the same time, I'm sitting there like, what would I take out? I don't know. And and that's just it. Like, because, I mean, there are probably, like, one or two things that didn't, like, need to be in there. But it's either things that are building out the world, they're references for fans of the games that they're going to know and recognize and want to see, or, you know, it's, it's important story information that you can't really cut without risking your kind of story crumbling in on itself. And when your story is this intricately put together and it is, but I mean, we see flashbacks of, Miles's father's death like five times, like from five different angles. Like they rush him on that thing to death. Back and to the left. <laughs> yes. Very Zapruder film esque. Yes. Yeah, but I'm but I I mean, you know, do we need that many retellings of that same event? I don't know that we do. Um, yeah, but little little things like that. I mean, I know the first couple of cases kind of get you in the headspace for the movie you're getting ready to see. But the main event is really that for that, that last case. Um, and I wish we, I, I feel like the entire movie probably could slash should have been devoted to that. Um, which is not to say that the Mia murder isn't compelling, but it just feels like, a, like it, it feels a little like dead weight when we're looking at the scope of everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, which unfortunately, like, you kind of have to do, because like you said, for the world building and whatnot, you kind of have right. to do that case to set up that she's dead, Maya channels her on a regular basis to help Phoenix, which mm-hmm. she does throughout all the games. Like, Okay, that Maya, is, that is, okay. Yeah, Maya will randomly just channel Mia, um, except, so Maya wears the same outfit that she wears in the movie. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I figured she, that would probably be the case. But... Whenever Mia gets channeled through her, the size of the outfit doesn't change. But Mia is in it. Interesting. You get what, if you see what I'm getting at, I, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of there's a lot of boobage. Um, sure, but, sure. That's what I thought you were getting at. I just <laughs> wanted to make sure. Spell it out for everybody. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that is that is something that happens through all the games. She is, you know constantly showing up to, to help it becomes a major plot point later okay that was one of the more bizarre elements i'm like this has to be from the game because this does not make any sense like for the larger like scope of what this movie is it feels very out of place so it makes sense that that's from the games because i couldn't figure out how it fit with the rest well, of it they, they set it up at the beginning of the movie like, well i know they as a spirit medium sure like i caught that but like in terms of like why she's there like at all oh she's just there to channel her sister why are there ghosts in this movie for some reason like it it's it it didn't it didn't quite seem to fit the rest of what was going on to my thinking but it makes sense that it's from the games because then yeah you would want to make sure to include that because fans would be expecting it well this and this is a perfect example of what i always talk about with video game movies is if you're a fan you don't that's normal. You know this. It's from the games. You know the context and the explanation and everything, and it makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. But you, you being a non-fan going into it, you're like, why? Does, what? Why? Why are there ghosts? I don't understand. Because we, we as the video game fans, have all all of the context, right, for why it's happening. You know, uh, Mia and Phoenix's relationship, like why Maya sticks around, like for the other cases like it's just we have all that context and you don't correct which i mean and i think if these movies were as popular and ubiquitous as say the mcu then you know there every every group of friends has at least one fan that's like a little too into comic books so like there's always that one friend you can ask, hey, who was that lady at the end of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness? I I don't know who she is. Do you know who that is? Or who was that big grinning dude and why was he smiling after the line about courting death at the end of Avengers? Like that kind of stuff becomes, you know, you you have a friend to tap. Like you are my friend for that and I knew we were going to talk about this here in a second. If I had seen this movie independently of this podcast, I would have probably at like 
Um, dude, what was up with the ghosts? But since I knew we were going to talk about it, I'm like, I'll just say it on mic. We'll just, I'll just record it. Sure. We'll, we'll, we'll do it live. That's me. The, the, the tyrannical contents are. Get it on mic. Ruling with an iron fist. Get it on mic. Why are we having this conversation? We could be recording it. Um, <laughs> um, but so, I mean, so that was, but, but the other thing that really, the, the only other thing that I, that really kind of took me out of the movie is there's just kind of a general lack of character development. Like the characters are there and we're supposed to care about them because they're our main characters, but there aren't really, there's not much in the way of actually developing those characters. And I mean, this movie does not have time to develop any characters. It is two hours and 14 minutes long and it is jam packed. Like Takashi Miike is using every bit of that time to tell the story at his disposal. But that story, unfortunately does not include any character development for our, our main characters. They, they are broad caricatures at best are like four or five main characters. Like they, I don't, at, at no point do I feel like I know who any of them are outside of just the roles that the movie has assigned them. Yeah. And, and I mean, they, they at least try to give you some more backstory on the characters though. Sure. I mean, there, there are efforts made, but ultimately I don't, I think all of them kind of end up falling short. Yeah. I can't really say you don't really get much character development in the games either. You do over time, over multiple games. Sure. As you get more time with these characters. But And I mean maybe that's maybe it's just because we're only adapting the first game that that's the that that, that we're kind of left without that character development because the first game wouldn't include it, right? More or less. I mean, and of the first game we're only we're only adapting two and a half, two and a third. You only see the end of the the first case, mm-hmm. and then the other two cases. So I, you know, and there's six cases in the first game. And there are like hints and whispers you said toward about number three. There was a case. No, you said though the the thing with the samurai was from the third case. Oh, the third case. So it's the third case. No, yes, no, third, no. Third sorry. Case, yes. But then you said that the the case at the end was from the end of the second game. Yes. Okay. Which is, I mean, which is just like more of a reference than anything. Sure. Uh, which I mean, a lot of there's there's a lot of those kinds of things in this movie. Like I didn't catch any of them because I'm not familiar with this video game franchise. But like that seems to kind of be the case, right? Like the yeah. like you you said this was pretty reference dense. I I mean I don't know about reference dense. It's I mean more as much as just it's just a really good direct adaptation. Um, and the references are really, they're just for the fans. Like the, the silver samurai, uh, or the steel samurai, um, costume in that, that's just a reference. You don't have to be a fan of the games to care about that. Gotcha. But if you are, you go, Oh, that's the steel samurai costume. Okay. This is the steel samurai case. And, but like, you know, you don't care. You didn't get that reference. It's just another case Edgeworth is doing. Sure. So, like, you know, there's references, but they're not like they're not important to the non-fan. They're not taking away anything from the story. They're gotcha. just adding to it for fans, which is what a good video game adaptation should do. You shouldn't be so beholden to appeasing the fans. Like, do more with the movie that appeals to a broader audience, while also throwing little things in there for the fans. Which, I mean, we talked a little bit about adaptation and, and what kind of makes a good adaptation last week. Um, we've, we've kind of been talking a lot about adaptation fairly here in the, within the last few months, which is makes for a fair, fairly interesting topic of conversation. But, I mean, when you get and, – and again, a lot of these failed franchise starters are adaptations of some other work that they're – usually something like an established series of works, like in this case that you're hoping to get more out of. And ultimately you don't largely due to an inability to adapt. This one though, seems like it was adapted pretty well. We just never got the potential franchise out of it that we probably could have gotten based on the fact that this is a very long running series of video games. 
I mean, that, that's really, that was my biggest question, um, which I didn't, I was doing a lot of research, but not, I didn't, I didn't really run into this of like why it didn't seek. Um, well, I mean, let's, it's, it's a little early. Yeah. I think we still got a few more things to talk about, but let me, let me go over the box office grosses here. Um, so it earned about 1.5 uh, million in its opening weekend at the Japanese box office. Um, but it looks like it grossed uh, about 6.77 million total throughout the entirety of its theatrical run, which is not a lot of money. Uh, the The numbers that Wikipedia gives, because this this is not on the numbers, um, like there's not a lot, because this movie never got a, a US release, there's not a lot of information on it, unfortunately, uh, which we'll talk about when we get to like the reviews and the, the, uh, the ratings of this, of this particular film. Um, but it grosses uh, 540 million yen, which is about 6.77 million uh, us during its theatrical run. So perhaps it was not the smash hit that they were hoping. And so they didn't get, you know, the sequels out of it that they wanted. Um, but yeah, ultimately, despite the fact that it was fairly well received by critics uh, did not, I guess, I guess audiences weren't, quite lining the blocks for it when it was released theatrically. And I guess you could just chalk that up to maybe Ace Attorney is kind of a niche video game, which I don't think it is. It's... Well, and, and I don't have the, because I don't have the box office numbers, like I don't know if I could even find the Japanese box office numbers. Let me, let me see if I can track those down. But like, that's just, that's kind of one of those, one of those things where you're like without that information, it, it, it gets pretty difficult to calculate all told. Um, 2012 looks like the highest grossing movie was Bravehearts Umizaru. Let me see if Ace Attorney even cracks the list. Ace Attorney is the number 83 film in Japan in 2012. Um, behind such other uh, potential um, topics for this podcast as John Carter, uh, The Born Legacy, past episode The Lorax. Um, so, I mean, there's like it, it apparently just did not do very well in the box office. And that's kind of the reason why this is where it stalls out. Well, and that kind of that inf that really kind of spells it out. Yeah. So it, it feels like. It was overshadowed. It would it would be as if you released it over here. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just it was overshadowed by all the American films. Right. Well, I mean, there were a number of Japanese films as well. Like the number one film um, was what did I say it was? Bravehearts Umizaru, uh, Therma Roma is number two. Like these are like, Toho has the has four of the top five films in Jap in Japan. The first American film, I don't think, comes is it is is at number seven, which is Resident Evil Retribution, is the is the highest grossing American film in Japan that year. Right. So I mean, I guess it's just it is just kind of a niche film. You could you could put it up there with any of the live action anime adaptations. It's kind of a it has an audience, but it's a niche audience. And the general populace doesn't care because as much as as much as video games are and nerd culture are ubiquitous in Japan, it's kind of not um, as much as we want to think it is. Right. Uh, but it isn't. Um, it might be bigger than it is here. That's tough to say. Mm -hmm. But it's still not big enough to like make Phoenix Wright crack the top 20 or 30 films of the year. Right. Um, or even the top 50 or 70. Yeah. Right. You, you know what I meant. I do. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm just hammering in your point. I'm, I'm, I'm coming in with the assists. So that's really, this is what it is, I guess. Like I, I can look at this as a fan and go, this was an amazing adaptation. What the hell? Why didn't they make more of these? And the answer is just because no, the general populace doesn't care about a video game movie. Yeah, and about I think a video game franchise that is 
kind of niche. Yeah, like I had never heard of it until we had talked about doing this movie for the podcast. And then I kind of read up a little bit on the on the video game series. And I was like, oh, OK, that's that's very I've never heard of this. So um, but I mean, yeah, it I look, it's it's a fun movie. Like visually, it is very arresting. Like the visuals on this movie are next level. Like you can tell Takashi Miike is a filmmaker that knows what he is doing. Um, like he has a very pronounced sense of visual style. Um He's I mean, he he is an auteur filmmaker. Granted, I'm not familiar with his work, but it doesn't mean that I don't recognize the dude's got a style. And it, again, it's it's arresting. It's fun to look at um, the the art direction, the costumes, the makeup are all very well done. Uh, like these look like characters that just stepped out of an anime. It's like that, um, you know, the the OG, oh, those memes that used to go around years ago was like, oh, gee, I wonder which character is the main character of this anime. And it's always the character that looks like so bizarre. Everyone else kind of looks halfway normal. And there's, you know, the one character with like the pink hair and the 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 wild costume. And oh, OK, I guess that's the main character of the anime. This movie's very much like that, whereas all of your background and extras, they may be very colorful, but they're dressed relatively normally. Your main characters are the only ones that have like the really wild hairstyles like Phoenix Wright's got the like the point in the back of his head. Um, Edgeworth has the like drapes along the side of his face. Um, like you've got kind of some different, um, different wild hairs. Uh, Larry's got the like spiky, like gradient Mohawk thing going down with the weird mullet in the back. Um, like yeah, you can tell who your main characters are pretty much at a glance. Like it, and it's fun. It's, bizarre to see those hairstyles translated to live action but it's also um it makes the movie kind of fun to look at and you know who your characters are even if you can't see their faces which is also kind of fun yeah even right down to the judge who has a an incredibly elegant beard oh my word that that beard is hashtag goals my friend uh you and i are both uh men with facial hair um who are quite fond of our facial hair and uh, oh gosh, that that beard that is that is an aspirational beard. If if, if ever I've seen a beard, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it, the, the judge in the video game has the exact same beard. It is just amazing. And again, like certain characters, you can kind of tell because their looks are so specific that that is how they looked in the game. Like Detective Gumshoe, for some reason, has first of all, his name is Detective Gumshoe. Uh, Detective Dick Gumshoe. Oh, so on the nose. <laughs> a lot of the names are on the nose. Sure, honestly. sure. And then the entire franchise, the names are like on the nose. Yeah. I mean, it's and that's kind of that's the pun. That's the pun thing coming into play, right? Yeah. Like, you know, puns in video games. And honestly, like there was a, a, a time when puns were everywhere. Like there's a, a DC Comics villain called the Rainbow Raider. And his his real name, his his alter ego is Roy G. Bivolo rainbows roy g biv hello like it's it's evident like oh gee i wonder who could the riddler be could it be this gentleman edward nigma e nigma hmm like it's just that's 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 the that was the naming convention for for good or ill mostly ill um dr doom's name is literally victor von doom i mean come on his name is doom whatever i'm way off the i'm way off the path at this point <laughs> rain me back in um but like he's got like that like patch on the side of his face like he got in a fight or something like i'm like there is no reason why is that patch on his face it doesn't make any sense it, it that must be how that character looks in the video game i found a picture of him from the video game and turns out hey guess what i was right so i believe that's uh where he cut himself shaving if i recall Oh, okay. That, That's that, why he's got that because he's kind of he, he's not as like bumbling, uh, like just happy-go-lucky, like just fan of Phoenix as mm. he is in the video games. Okay, but but like they they play that up a little bit. He's a little he's a competent detective, but he's very much like just kind of doofy. Like I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. Like just. Lovable character is really Fair enough. what Detective Gumshoe is in the games. Nice. But uh, but yeah, I mean, like, so like visually, I think this film is is really phenomenal, um, like very engaging. Like I said, my biggest complaints 
it's over long and you don't really get to know these characters. They look cool and their roles are very clearly defined, but you don't really know who they are as people. They don't really have much in the way of interiority, if anything, in the way of interiority throughout the film. Like those things are kind of a big old bummer for me. Um, Like just, you know, I last week we did Uzumaki. Uzumaki was a cool 96 minutes. Like, mm, love it. Great. This um, much longer, like two hours and 14 minutes. That's that's a lot. That's like. A hundred and was it 30 something minutes? That's that's a lot of minutes. It is. And I that's that's the one critique I would agree with. But I don't. I don't know where you put the character development in this movie. But but again, I think not having room for it is part of the problem, though. Like you want to like that's why we, you know, go to the movie. It's not just the story. It's how these characters are interacting with the story. Like it it's good if and I guess if all you're wanting to do is adapt a video game, that's fine. But for that to have crossover appeal, a guy like me has got to be able to find something relatable within these characters to latch onto. And I didn't have that. Um, you know, so as someone who doesn't recognize the video games, who's not like all in on, on Phoenix Wright and his saga, um, you know, I need, I need something there to, to, to ground me in this world a little bit. And at the end of the day, I'm just like, I don't, Real, I mean, I'm glad that he won the case, but it doesn't really do anything for me because I don't have any indication of who these people are. Like it doesn't like the stakes are not as high as they could be if I cared about these characters. Granted, yes, I, I and I, I would be the first to admit it. This movie does not have the space, but I think that's part of the problem. Maybe that was what got excised in the cut was all the character development. But I still think that's a problem. So well, I, then, I I don't disagree with the point that you're making. I just think it's part of the issue. Well, then I I would, which I can't argue like with that because I have all that context. I can't take that context out of my brain, right? And go, I see what you're saying because I have that. I can't remove that from my brain. So sure, I can't argue that part. What I would maybe argue is, is this the opposite problem of the failed franchise starters that we always see, where there's too much setup expecting a sequel mm, mm-hmm. that never comes. I mean, and, and, and as, as far as sequel hooks go, there's not much like Phoenix says, I'll defend Yanni till the end. Um, and then like, we see them in the courtroom, like battling each other. And if, I mean, just, they're going to keep doing the same thing. And maybe that case is where we pick up the sequel from. But like we don't really get much in the way of a sequel hook here beyond the fact that this is just an established um, an established thing. But I mean, of all the things to save for your sequel um, character development, <laughs> I'm, I, that, that might be a little unfair, but like I would it, I, I'm I, I'll, I, I'll admit it. Um, but, you know, just the it is in, in some ways it's the reverse problem. In some ways, it's kind of the same problem. But like, yeah, like it's, we're not, the movie itself is self-contained, which I appreciate because oftentimes these movies aren't like we're, oh, we've got to hold that for the sequel. We can't, you know, we're not going to do this character in this movie. We're going to bring that character in for the sequel, whether it be the Joker or Johnny Cage or what have you, we're going to save that character. Everyone loves that character. We don't want to, to show our hand on that one too early. If this does really well, we can probably get a big name for it, blah, 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 whatever. So like. But this movie doesn't do any of that. It puts everything out on the table. Unfortunately, it's just there's a lot to get on the table. Like this is there's there's and because this is so visually arresting, every frame is like jam packed with um, visual gags, references, um, other characters or just like a really fucking cool shot. Like there's all sorts of stuff going on at all times. Um, so yeah, there's, there's not much space in this movie for, you know, for inconsequential things like character development, who needs that? But yeah. here's the thing, here's the thing, like there's, there's not much in the way of overarching story in, in the games, to be honest. Um, at least in the, not in the first three that I recall. Well, the fact that they're able to get one out of this, out of this video game is, is a feat in and of itself, which again, I do think the movie deserves credit for. Well, yeah, which is, I mean, 
the last case of the first game is most of the first game. So it's, it's easy to take that long of a case with a lot of twists and turns and whatnot and turn it into a movie. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I don't think, I mean, you could just adapt one of the other ones or you could skip ahead for, if you want some character development, skip ahead to when Phoenix um, adopts Apollo justice and he takes over the games. Um, that would be character development. Um, something tells me that's something you say for like the third or fourth movie once everyone's contracts are up and they may not want to re-up you bring in another character to take over at that well, point and Phoenix never leaves the franchise oh okay he's, he's still there he's still running the um, agency that he was running with Mia okay um, he, he becomes like a supporting character for the fourth and for the fourth game then he comes back as a full-on protagonist for five and six. Okay. Um, so he never leaves. Gotcha. But, but that's, I mean, that's some character development, I guess. Like, really, the thing is, all you need to know is Phoenix cares about finding the truth and cares about justice and being a good person. What more do you need, honestly? Like, you don't really need much more than that. Not in a, not in a movie like this. Um, I, and again, I just, you know, it, the stakes matter more when I care about the characters and this movie doesn't give me much of a reason to care about the characters. That's, that's all I'm saying. I mean, that, you know, okay. That sounds like more of a personal problem than a problem with the movie. But no, but I'm, I said that up front, like I'm not familiar with the games, so I don't have that knowledge built into my head. The movie needs to give me that. And if the movie can't give me that, that is a failing of the movie. Like, I shouldn't have to play an entire video game series to understand the characters in your movie. And I've said something to that effect before. This is not new information for me. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm trying to argue what I shouldn't be trying to argue. because I, yeah, I mean, We can I, disagree on this point, Brett. It's okay. We disagree all the fucking time. Yeah, no, <laughs> this is nothing new. No, I mean, I get it. No, it's just, I don't know. I would be able to get behind, like, you know, just a good character that has good morals and is trying to defend good people. But if you need more than that, you need more than that. Yeah. I, you know, give me, give me, give me something to hold on to, but you, need, you know, you that's a child that needs to be saved or he needs to have a tragic backstory or something to latch on to. I get it. Not, not even a tragic backstory, just a backstory, like something that's a little more fleshed out than um, he was accused of stealing something and his friends stood up for him. Like that's, that's, that's the thinnest of character development. Like that, that's some barely there character development, gossamer character development. All right. Okay. We can disagree. That yes, we can. And we do. And we have, and there we go. Um, so, um, but so, so any, any other things that you have to say about Ace Attorney? I love this movie. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, I wish there was a sequel. Um, it made me want to play the games again, which are available on the Switch. Uh, the first three are available on mobile. Hey. Um, I don't know if they're on Android. Sorry, Steven. But they are mm. on iOS. Um, Let's find out. And uh, so I'm probably going to play the games. And All right. I'm probably going to find the stage play they did. They did a few of those. Well, that's wild. Um, I might watch the anime, see what the anime is like. I'm sure it's just a direct adaptation of the games, though. Uh, Ace Attorney Trilogy, I can buy it on for mobile for 23 bucks. There you go. So, yeah, it's I, I don't on know. all mobile devices. I don't know that I will, but I could. I don't know. I think you would like it. Or maybe you won't. I don't I know. J- maybe maybe I, don't want, maybe I just don't want to spend $23 right now. No, that could also be the case. I couldn't either. I'm going to have to wait for a while before I can buy it, but I will buy it again. There you go. Um, But yeah, so um, let's talk a little bit more about the box office. As we said, this movie only grossed about $6 in Japan. Didn't really get much in the way of an international release. Um, And uh, so there's nothing really about this um, movie on uh, on the numbers, the website that we use to track um, our... uh, uh, our, our box office numbers. Um, 
it looks like, uh, yeah, no, nothing in the way of a domestic box office there. Uh, there is no Tomatometer score because there's only four reviews from critics of this movie. Um, but the audience score is a 66%. So there's that. Uh, there is also uh, no Metacritic score. So no Metascore on this movie either. Uh, and then finally, the letterbox score. You better believe there's a letterbox score. It's a 3.3. So, Brett, out of five stars, how would you rate 2012's Ace Attorney? Honestly, I was surprised it was on Amazon. This movie was hard to find in America for a very long time. Yes. Um, But I I gave it four and a half. Uh, Whereas I gave it three and a half. So that rounds us out to an average of four, which is not too shabby. Um, and yeah, there you go. Brett's, Brett's new favorite video game movie of all time, or I guess best video game movie favorite might be putting on, putting some words in your mouth there, but uh, I wouldn't say that. Okay. Uh, no, I mean, I wouldn't say that it's putting words in my mouth. You're correct. Oh, okay. Brett's new favorite video game movie, everybody. Uh, and this has basically been kind of one extended episode of Brett's video game corner. Yeah. I got to ramble about a video game. I love and, and, and Japanese culture as well. This is just like the perfect Brett episode. Yeah. And we'll be, we'll, we'll be back. We'll be back doing another Japanese film next week because that's right. We are now halfway through our big in Japan theme month. We've got a couple more um, Japanese failed franchise starters. If you want to know what they are, what we've got coming, uh, you should go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash disenfranch pod. Uh, if you subscribe to our Patreon at any level, you get to know uh, every movie we're covering tentatively covering in, at the beginning of the month uh, before we actually start. Uh, releasing uh, episodes. So um, that is uh, for all members. And there's some other great stuff there, depending on what tier you subscribe at as well. Uh, We've got a lot of great content there behind the paywall for you. So check that out. Patreon.com slash disenfranch pod. Shoot us an email at disenfranch pod. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, Let us know some of your favorite video game adaptations. Do any of them stack up against Ace Attorney or no? Let us know. Disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Com. Follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook at DisenfranchPod. Uh, while you're out on the internet doing your fun things, if you could swing by Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and just give us a nice juicy five-star rating and a review, please and thank you. We would sure appreciate it. Uh, it goes a long way to helping us find more listeners like yourselves. And we like you, so we'd probably like more people like you too. So. Thank you so much for doing that. You can find me, your host, Stephen Foxworthy, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Chewy Walrus. Brett, what about you? Where are you living on the socials these days? You can find me on Letterboxd and Instagram at sus underscore warlock. All right. And that is our episode on 2012's Ace Attorney. I'm your host, Stephen Foxworthy. This has been the Disenfranchised Podcast from my co-host, Brett Wright, and myself. Until next time, everybody. Objection! Take that!